<laughs> good evening, everybody. Say um, good evening to the Chapel family and especially to all the guests that are here visiting tonight. Uh, we consider it a privilege that you chose us to worship with. Uh, my name is Mike Bethune, and I'm the pastor of care here at the chapel. Um, just started my fourth year, actually, and so I've um, been blessed to, to serve here in this neck of the woods called Lincoln Park. How about that? Um, bow with me in a word of prayer, if you would, please. God, your word promises that when it goes out, it will not return unto you empty, but it will accomplish whatever you send it to do. And so I pray here on this Thanksgiving Eve, God, with all of us that are gathered here together, that your word would meet each of us uh, individually at our point of need, as if there's only one of us here. And then also that it would meet us ecclesiastically so that we would be a better body of believers when we leave this place. Have your way now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. I want to talk for a few minutes tonight with the help of God's Holy Spirit from the topic or title, if you will, the blessing of contemplative pauses, the blessing of contemplative pauses. And we'll be looking at um, the 13th Psalm, Psalm 13. We know that David wrote the bulk of the Psalms. Uh, and this is one of uh, his most famous psalms, Psalm 13. I'll read it from the NIV version of the Bible. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. He has been good to me. Again, David, we know that David is the author of this psalm. Scholars don't know what the time frame was in David's life when he wrote it, and they also are not sure of what he was going through when he wrote it. But if we just look at a couple slices of David's life, we know that um, he dealt with a whole lot of hardship. I mean, he had some great triumphs as well as king and all, but he also dealt with some serious difficulties on different levels. Um, so this could have been written... Maybe when he was on the run from King Saul, who was jealous of the fact that the people sang, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And uh, the prophet had chosen David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, to be anointed king over Israel. And maybe David was in that incubation period where he was waiting for God's uh, promise of him becoming king to match up with the reality of his life. Maybe he was in that phase of his life. Or maybe, maybe it could have been some of the turmoil and dysfunction that was going on in his household. David was the king, but I'm here to tell you, his household was kind of crazy. Y'all. You, you read those scriptures, man, there's a whole lot going on there. So it doesn't matter what uh, position, title, 
power, prestige, wealth, all of that stuff sometimes can't keep, you know, trouble from creeping into to our homes as well, right? You plan for life and, and then life happens. And by the grace of God, he gives us the strength to, to not just survive what happens, but be able to thrive and eventually, hopefully, learn from it and then do better with the next chance that he gives. So maybe David was in that time frame of his life where his, his household was a little bit dysfunctional. Or maybe he was in the waiting period of God uh, restoring him from some of the things that he had did, some of his own faulty decisions that brought hardship in his lives. He was in, he was in some season of hardship, we know that, because we see how he pours his um, heart out in this particular text. And so tonight, I want to dissect this just a little bit for a few minutes. I promise not to keep you too long. And um, somebody said, you got to be leery uh, when you hear a preacher who's come out of the Baptist church for 17 years say, I'm not going to keep you too long. You got to be... <laughs> But I, but I promise I, I won't keep you too long tonight. I want to look at three things tonight. I want to look at the complaint. I want to look at the contemplation. And then I want to look at the conclusion. The conclusion. Let's first look at David's complaint. Right? In the first four verses, his complaint assumes that God's forgotten about him. He says four times, how long, O Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? Lest we be too hard on David. We don't want to negate the reality of his circumstance and minimize whatever it is that he was dealing with. So let's ask this question. Have you ever been in that how long period? Somebody here said still there. <laughs> yeah, that's honesty, right? Still there. You wonder if God's forgotten about you. Which from a theological perspective just begs a whole nother thing that we don't have time to deal with, but can an omniscient God forget? He can choose to put some things away, but can he really even forget if he's omniscient? Put that one in your pocket. You're gonna need a couple years to wrestle with that one. Put that one. <laughs> but, but he assumes that God has forgotten about him God has abandoned him. This is where we have to remember the promises of God, right? We heard Ed mention it up here, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, no matter what we go through, the good, the bad, the happy, the sad, when life is up and everything's great, when life is down and everything is spinning around, God promises that even in all of that, he'll be right there with us. And so David, initially in his complaint, assumes that God's forgotten about him. But not only that, he, David, like some of us, because of the immediacy of our situation, Satan thrives by, by using the seeming urgency of our situations as a tool to cause us to suffer from spiritual amnesia, forgetting what God has already done. That's what Satan, that's one of his best tools. Doubt and using our complaining as a foothold to get in, to discolor our world and make us forget all about the fact that the true and living God is right there with us no matter how difficult the situation may seem. That's one of his keys. He's always looking for a foothold to get in and complaining is one of the easiest doors that he can walk on through. But then also in David's complaint, I have a question for it. 
Could it be that God sometimes intentionally delays his response until the focus of our prayers change? Could it be that? Because sometimes it seems like uh, everything that's happening in our lives has come to destroy us, but it could very well be God's answer to a prayer and some of the hardship has really come to develop us and bring, develop character in us and bring out of us that which good times can accomplish. So it looks like it's come to destroy, but God may have sent it to develop. But if we just stay stuck in complaining, Satan will make it all look like destruction and, and hardship. We talked about God, maybe God's withholding the answer to that prayer until the focus of his prayer changes. So what was the focus? Who was the focus of David's prayer? The answer to that is he was. He was. Look at the next slide as his, of his complaint. He, how long, O oh Lord? How long? Look, there, there's 14 personal pronouns there. Look at the first verse. How long will you forget me? Second verse. How long will you forget me? How long must I, my, 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 me, me, my, I, my, my, I, I. <laughs> Any question about who the focus of that prayer was? Mind you, there was other people attached to him, right? Because as the king goes, as David goes, so goes his family. As, as uh, right, he, he was appointed the, the head over that, that household and eventually that kingdom. So there was all kind of people that were depending on him to get this thing right. But his prayer just seemed like he was the only one left in the world. And Satan will make it like that sometimes. Like, you're the only one going through this. You know, you're the only one that has troubles like this. My sons, uh, Caleb and Elias... They grew up in church. Um, Caleb is 20, just turned 20. Elias is 16. And I've watched them over time, over the years, develop this nonverbal communication. Parents, just wink at me. You know what I mean, right? Just wink, you know. And so in the church that we came from, in a land far, far away, not close to here, right? In the church that we came from, there was this woman who, whenever a preacher would say something I guess profound to her, she would yell out in this, this extremely high-pitched screech, and I, people would, like, be shocked. And, and Caleb and Elias had been hearing that since they were little guys. So they developed this coded language, and, you know, um, <clears throat> they, called her, they called her Mama Drama. <clears throat> that's, what, that's what they named her, right? I'd hear them talking, they're like, oh, wonder how many times Mama Drama's going to show out today. And sure enough, the preacher says something, and here comes this, this, this you know, high-pitched, high-octave yell. And I watched it. Elias was wearing glasses then. He doesn't wear them anymore, but he needed corrective lenses then. And I'd watch him look, look over at Caleb, and he'd be like this. <laughs> and they'd crack, they'd crack me up every time. And, um, and, and the truth is, is that, yes, we all go through things, right? Nobody's exempt from the trials of life and that stuff comes. Um, but sometimes by our complaining exacerbates it and makes it a whole lot more than it really is, right? 
And we, we can be really dramatic sometimes and over-exaggerate, and Satan has a field day with that when we complain and make it more than what it really is because he gets in there, and, man, before long, he's, he's really turned the screws up on that, and, um, and, and we're in a really bad place. David's going through all of these different things. And, 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 but sometimes, but excuse me, something happens here. He complains from verses 1 through 4. But then something happens between verses 4 and 5 that drastically changes his focus, the object, and the outcome of David's prayer. And that something is what I call a contemplative pause. In his classic book, Contemplative Prayer, the celebrated American monk and theologian Thomas Merton says this about contemplation. He says, true contemplation is not a psychological trick, but a theological grace. It can, it, come, it can come to us only as a gift and not as a result of our own clever use of spiritual techniques. So, so this contemplative pause, right, it's, it's something that God gives. God gives us, um, when God hears us complaining and going through all these different motions, it's almost as if God stands back and goes, okay, I'm going to wait until you're done with that. And then I'm going to give you some space in your heart and in your mind to remind you of some things. I'm going to rewind the tape a little bit and let you see that you didn't make it here to this point just being a complainer, right? And so, so to, uh, to Merton's point, this can't be conjured up, right? How many times have you tried to pray and it seems like you're having 35 thoughts all at one time? You can't even focus, right? It literally takes the grace of God and the gift of God to cl clean out some of the clutter or push aside some of the, the clutter and the things that we're concerned about so that we can have a few minutes of crystal clear spiritual coherency so that we can hear from him. And when we hear from him during this contemplative pause, there are some things that happens that I'm going to explain as we move further into this text. But let's look again deeper at this whole word, um, contemplation, this issue of contemplation. Contemplation is, it's a blessing, and it's a gift from God that only availed it, avails itself to those that will have the patience to receive it. What are you talking about, Mike? Most of us pray, especially here, you know, in the West where we live, most of us pray like this. God, help my, my family, um, help us do this, do that. We need you for this, that, 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 and the other. In Jesus' name. Forgetting that prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. And so when we say, in Jesus' name, and God's probably like, uh, uh, well, I was just getting ready to give you the answer to what you're talking about. But you put the, in Jesus' name, cap on it, and that's a wrap. And you're up and you're gone about your day and wondering why you're encountering all kind of things. It's because you didn't even give God room enough to talk with you in the prayer. That contemplated pause, that's what it does. Yes, make our petitions, say what we need to say, and then get back up for a few seconds and give God space to clear out our hearts and for him to say, say something to us. Right? Look at this other part of contemplation, right? Prayer is designed to be a dialogue. Contemplation offers us the blessing of a quieted spirit, and it offers God the opportunity to speak to us. That's prayer. That's prayer. Because 
things happen. And if we're, if we're, especially if we're being burdened down and we're stuck in this realm of complaining, if we give God room to speak to us, things will change. Some of the things that we're complaining about, the answer could be found in that contemplative pause if we stayed out in our prayer place long enough and not just do like the, those quick prayers and make our petition and it's only one-sided and then we close the prayer off and we're gone about our, about our lives, maybe, maybe even having left the answer to what we were complaining about back there at home in the praying ground. But not only does it offer God an opportunity to speak to us, the contemplative pause gives us the blessing to reflect on the things that God has already done in our lives, which then helps us to put things in their proper perspective. That's the whole thing about the contemplative pause, right? Because here's the deal. When God's people are down to nothing, God is always up to something. You can bet that. You can bet that. It's in his word. It sounds gimmicky and it sounds poetic and all that, but it's the truth. When God's people are down to nothing, God is always up to something. In his book, Meditations of the Heart, the late scholar and theologian Dr. Howard Thurman says this about what the power of contemplation can do for us when we go through difficult times. Thurman says, whatever may be the tensions and the stresses of a particular day, there is always lurking close behind at hand, close at hand, the trailing beauty of forgotten joy or unremembered peace. Interpreted, when we're stuck in a place of complaining and Satan has us locked in that place, we can't even remember how good God has already been to us and how good God is even being. The fact that we're not consumed by whatever it is that we're dealing with, we can't even concentrate on that because we're so stuck in the immediacy of our circumstances. And Thurman says, somewhere trailing right behind, all you have to do is take a pause and just reflect back just a little bit. And it's all of that goodness of God in your life that will combat all the craziness of today. And if he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore, if he did it before, he can do it again if he chooses to. And even if he doesn't choose to, he promised that his grace will be sufficient, which means enough for today for whatever I'm going through. So why am I tripping? But if you don't look back and remember what he's already done, then all you can see is what's going on right now, and that's where we get stuck at, and Satan has, Satan has a field day. Trouble has a way of robbing us of our joy and causing us to forget the security of peace that can only be found in God. So during David's contemplated pause, God reminded him of some things, and we'll see what those things are as we take a look at um, David's conclusion. But remember this, right? The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our what? Is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You show me somebody with no joy, I'll show you, show you somebody that Satan's just going to have a field day on all day, every day. And joy doesn't mean, oh, I, everything is right in my life. My bank account's what, it, what, it, what I want it to be. My children are doing exactly what I'd like for them to do. My life is going great. No, that's not joy. That's not joy. You get a little bit of happiness out of that. But joy is that thing way down on the inside, way down. And joy, joy comes from a place that's deeper than your DNA. 
It's so far down there. It's that thing that's connected to your faith that says no matter what's going on in my life right now, I know based on past history that one way or another, God's going to make this thing all right. That's joy. That's where joy comes from. That's joy. Right? Think about it. You juxtapose happiness and joy. Get a little money, get a little happy. Person comes into your life, get a little happy. Person walks out of your life, get a little sad. Because happiness is, is based on having things or having people around you. Those things or those people go, happiness goes. But joy is a spiritual thing. And when you have joy, you have strength. Because it's connected to faith. And where faith is in action, God is at work. And things can change overnight if faith is activated based on joy. So let's look at David's conclusion after his contemplative pause and God reminded him of some things. The first thing that David found out in his conclusion was that prayerful contemplation leads to a correct perspective. Prayerful contemplation leads to a correct perspective. You know, God can handle both our anxieties and our exaggerations. How about that? It's people that can't handle that stuff. But God can handle our anxieties. God probably stands there with his arms folded and goes, okay, here he goes again. And he waits till he gets done tripping on his, his temper tantrum again, and then I'm going to remind him of some things. And probably in David's contemplative pause, God reminded him of all the times he forgave him for the things that he had done wrong. Right? He reminded him of the grace in his life and in David's life, way too many to name, probably my life and your life too. God showed him how his love was demonstrated throughout his life, how his grace was demonstrated throughout his life. And the correct perspective lets us see that God has been there all along. How do I know that? Look at what David says in verses 5 and 6. Now he goes from 1 through 4 complaining. How long? Oh, all this other stuff. And as Caleb and Elias would say, all this, this mama drama stuff, right? Because at one point, he said, oh, God, if you don't come and save me, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to, you know, he said that. Oh, I'm about to die. You know, and, and it probably wasn't even that deep. And God sits back, oh, man, this guy. What am I going to do with him? And then reminds him in that pause of his goodness. And David concludes his last two verses in 13th Psalm, verses 5 and 6, by saying this. You see a stark contrast from where he started out to where he finishes up. But I trust in your unfailing love because God reminded him of the times where he had to trust him and God watched over him. Maybe when he killed the bear and maybe when he killed the lion and maybe when he fought Goliath, how he had to trust God for the victories in his life. God reminded him of some of those things. And then David says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. Not salvation as we understand it, but from his perspective, how, uh, rescue. That's another element of the word. The etymology of the word salvation has components of rescue and deliverance to it. And he said, think about how many times you saved me, God. How many times you brought me out when I was that close to death. Why am I sitting here complaining when you've been so good to me? And he said, based on all that, I started out complaining, I'm going to end up singing because I know that you've been good to me. That's his conclusion. You've been, you've been good to me. So now 
Why is it? How is it that David is now able to trust and rejoice and sing the Lord's praises? Because the contemplated pause helped him to remember of how good God has really been to him. So I want to take a poll of the house tonight and see the hands of those that just had your contemplated pause moment while you were sitting here and God reminded you. Maybe you came in here focusing on some heavy stuff in your life, but that thing is turned for you tonight. If God reminded you of how good he's been in your life, let's see some hands go, go up. Maybe even some hands of praise. You don't mind doing that? You don't mind doing that? That's the God that we serve. He, he, he's been, been good to us. And because of all of that, in my conclusion here, because of all that, David was reminded, all that he was reminded of, David started out in worry, and he ended up in worship. He started out in pity, ended up in praise. Started out complaining and very thanklessness, and he ended up extremely thankful for the goodness that God had showed him in his lives. And I pray that that's where we leave out of here tonight, too. Despite all we've been through, some of you, some of us have been through some extremely difficult things up to this point in this year even. Things that we didn't think we were going to make it through. But hopefully God tonight has reminded all of us that despite it all, he's been good to us. And that's enough for us to be thankful for as we move into um, this Thanksgiving holiday tomorrow. Why don't you pray with me, please? God, we love you so much, and we're not ashamed to declare that publicly because you rescued us publicly. You brought us out of some things publicly, and so we bless you publicly. And God, we just want to leave out of here with an attitude of gratitude, saying thank you for being so good to us and to our families. And again, that doesn't mean that everything is the way that we love for it to be. But it's true, your grace is sufficient, and we thank you for that. Be with us as we leave this place and help us never to leave from your presence, God. We love you, we adore you, we worship you, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and let all the people say amen.